section fourteen of little journeys to the homes of american statesmen this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by betty b little journeys to the homes of american statesmen by elbert hubbard alexander hamilton the objects to be attained are to justify and preserve the confidence of the most enlightened friends of good government to promote the increasing respectability of the american name to answer the calls of justice to restore landed property to its due value to furnish new sources both to agriculture and to commerce to cement more closely the union of the states to add to their security against foreign attack to establish public order on the basis of an upright and liberal policy these are the great and invaluable ends to be secured by a proper and adequate provision at the present period for the support of public credit report to congress we do not know the name of the mother of alexander hamilton we do not know the given name of his father but from letters a diary and pieced out reports allowing fancy to bridge from fact to fact we get a patchwork history of the events preceding the birth of this wonderful man every strong man has had a splendid mother hamilton's mother was a woman of wit beauty and education while very young through the machinations of her elders she had been married to a man much older than herself rich wilful and dissipated the man's name was levine but his first name we do not know so hidden were the times and a maze of obscurity the young wife very soon discovered the depravity of this man whom she had vowed to love and obey divorce was impossible and rather than endure a lifelong existence of legalized shame she packed up her scanty effects and sought to hide herself from society and kinsmen by going to the west indies there she hoped to find employment as a governess in the family of one of the rich planters or if this plan were not successful she would start a school on her own account and thus benefit her kind and make for herself an honourable living arriving at the island of nevis she found that the natives did not especially desire education certainly not enough to pay for it and there was no family requiring a governess but a certain scotch planter by the name of hamilton who was consulted thought in time that a school could be built up and he offered to meet the expense of it until such a time as it could be put on a paying basis unmarried women who accept friendly loans from men stand in dangerous places with all good women heart whole gratitude and a friendship that seems unselfish ripen easily into love they did so here perhaps in a warm ardent temperament sore grief and biting disappointment and crouching want obscure the judgment and give a show of reason to actions that a colder intellect would disapprove on the frontiers of civilization man is greater than law all ceremonies are looked upon lightly in a few months mrs levine was called by the little world of nevis mrs hamilton and mr and mrs hamilton regarded themselves as man and wife the planter hamilton was a hard-headed busy individual who was quite unable to sympathize with his wife's finer aspirations 
her first husband had been clever and dissipated this one was worthy and dull and thus deprived of congenial friendships without books or art or that social home life which goes to make up a woman's world and longing for the safety of close sympathy and tender love with no one on whom her intellect could strike a spark she keenly felt the bitterness of exile in a city where society ebbs and flows an intellectual woman married to a commerce-scrubbing man is not especially to be pitied she can find intellectual affinities that will ease the irksomeness of her situation but to be cast on a desert isle with a being no matter how good who is incapable of feeling with you the eternal mystery of the encircling tides who can only stare when you speak of the moaning lullaby of the restless sea who knows not the glory of the sunrise and feels no thrill when the breakers dash themselves into foam or the moonlight dances on the phosphorescent waves ah that is indeed exile loneliness is not in being alone for then ministering spirits come to soothe and bless loneliness is to endure the presence of one who does not understand and so this finely organized receptive aspiring woman through the exercise of a will that seemed masculine in its strength found her feet mired in quicksand she struggled to free herself and every effort only sank her deeper the relentless environment only held her with firmer clutch she thirsted for knowledge for sweet music for beauty for sympathy for attainment she had a heart hunger that none about her understood she strove for better things she prayed to god but the heavens were as brass she cried aloud and the only answer was the throbbing of her restless heart in this condition a son was born to her they called his name alexander hamilton this child was heir to all his mother's splendid ambitions her lack of opportunity was his blessing for the stifled aspirations of her soul charged his being with a strong man's desires and all the mother's silken unswerving will was woven through his nature he was to surmount obstacles that she could not overcome and to tread under his feet difficulties that to her were invincible the prayer of her heart was answered but not in the way she expected god listened to her after all for every earnest prayer has its answer and not a sincere desire of the heart but somewhere will find its gratification but earth's buffets were too severe for the brave young woman the forces in league against her were more than she could withstand and before her boy was out of baby dresses she gave up the struggle and went to her long rest soothed only by the thought that although she had sorely blundered she yet had done her work as best she could at his mother's death we find alexander hamilton taken in charge by certain mystical kinsmen evidently he was well cared for as he grew into a handsome strong lad small to be sure but finely formed where he learned to read write and cipher we know not he seems to have had one of those active alert minds that can acquire knowledge on a barren island when nine years old he signed his name as witness to a deed the signature is needlessly large and bold and written with careful schoolboy pains but the writing shows the same characteristics that mark the thousand and one dispatches which we have signed at bottom g washington 
at twelve years of age he was clerk in a general store one of those country stores where everything is kept from ribbon to whiskey there were other helpers in the store full grown but when the proprietor went away for a few days into the interior the dark slim youngster took charge of the bookkeeping and the cash and made such shrewd exchanges of merchandise for produce that when the old man returned the lad was rewarded by two pats on the head and a raise in salary of one shilling a week about this time the boy was also showing signs of literary skill by writing sundry poems and compositions and one of his efforts in this line describing a tropical hurricane was published in a london paper this opened the eyes of the mystical kinsmen to the fact that they had a genius among them and the elder hamilton was importuned for money to send the boy to boston that he might receive a proper education and come back and own the store and be a magistrate and a great man no doubt the lad pressed the issue too for his ambition had already begun to ferment as we find him writing to a friend i'll risk my life though not my character to exalt my station most great things in america have to take their rise in boston so it seems meet that alexander hamilton aged fifteen a british subject should first set foot on american soil at long wharf boston he took a ferry over to cambridgeport and walked through the woods three miles to harvard college possibly he did not remain because his training in a bookish way had not been sufficient for him to enter and possibly he did not like the puritanic visage of the old professor who greeted him on the threshold of massachusetts hall at any rate he soon made his way to new haven yale suited him no better and he took a boat for new york he had letters to several good clergymen in new york and they proved wise and good counselors the boy was advised to take a course at the grammar school at elizabethtown new jersey there he remained for a year applying himself most vigorously and the next fall he knocked at the gate of king's college it is called columbia now because kings in america went out of fashion and all honors formerly paid to the king were turned over to miss columbia goddess of freedom king's college swung wide its doors for the swarthy little west indian he was allowed to choose his own course and every advantage of the university was offered him in a university you get just all you are able to hold it depends upon yourself and at the last all men who are made at all are self-made hamilton improved each passing moment as it flew with the help of a tutor he threw himself into his work gathering up knowledge with the quick perception and eager alertness of one from whom the good things of earth have been withheld yet he lived well and spent his money as if there were plenty more where it came from but he was never dissipated nor wasteful this was in the year seventeen hundred seventy four and the colonies were in a state of political excitement young hamilton's sympathies were all with the mother country he looked upon the americans for the most part as a rude crude and barbaric people who should be very grateful for the protection of such an all-powerful country as england at his boarding-house and at school he argued the question hotly defending england's right to tax her dependencies one fine day one of his schoolmates put the question to him flatly in case of war on which side will you fight hamilton answered 
on the side of england but by the next day he had reasoned it out that if england succeeded in suppressing the rising insurrection she would take all credit to herself and if the colonies succeeded there would be honors for those who did the work suddenly it came over him that there was such a thing as the divine right of insurrection and that there was no reason why men living in america should be taxed to support a government across the sea the wealth produced in america should be used to develop america he was young and burning with a lofty ambition he knew and had known all along that he would some day be great and famous and powerful here was the opportunity and so next day he announced at the boarding-house that the eloquence and logic of his messmates were too powerful to resist he believed the colonies and the messmates were in the right then several bottles were brought in and success was drunk to all men who strove for liberty patriotic sentiment is at the last self-interest in fact herbert spencer declares that there is no sane thought or rational act but has its root in egoism shortly after the young man's conversion there was a mass meeting held in the fields which meant the wilds of what is now the region of twenty-third street young hamilton stood in the crowd and heard the various speakers plead the cause of the colonies and urged that new york should stand firm with massachusetts against the further encroachments and persecutions of england there were many tories in the crowd for new york was with king george as against massachusetts and these tories asked the speakers embarrassing questions that the speakers failed to answer and all the time young hamilton found himself nearer and nearer the platform finally he undertook to reply to a talkative tory and someone shouted give him the platform the platform and in a moment this seventeen-year-old boy found himself facing two thousand people there was hesitation and embarrassment but the shouts of one of his college chums give it to him give it to him filled in an awkward instant and he began to speak there was logic and lucidity of expression and as he talked the air became charged with reasons and all he had to do was to reach up and seize them his strong and passionate nature gave gravity to his sentences and every quibbling objector found himself answered and more than answered and the speakers who were to present the case found this stripling doing the work so much better than they could that they urged him on with applause and loud cries of bravo bravo immediately at the close of hamilton's speech the chairman had the good sense to declare the meeting adjourned thus shutting off all reply as well as closing the mouths of the minnow orators who usually pop up to neutralize the impression that the strong man has made hamilton's speech was the talk of the town the leading whigs sought him out and begged that he would write down his address so that they could print it as a pamphlet in reply to the tory pamphleteers who were vigorously circulating their wares the pens of ready writers were scarce in those days men could argue but to present a forcible written brief was another thing so young hamilton put his reasons on paper and their success surprised the boys at the boarding-house and the college chums and the professors and probably himself as well his name was on the lips of all wigdom and the tories sent messengers to buy him off but congress was willing to pay its defenders 
and money came from somewhere not much but all the young man needed college was dropped the political pot boiled and the study of history economics and statecraft filled the daylight hours to the brim and often ran over into the night the winter of seventeen hundred seventy five passed away the plot thickened new york had reluctantly consented to be represented in congress and agreed grumpily to join hands with the colonies the redcoats had marched out to concord and back and the embattled farmers had stood and fired the shot heard round the world hamilton was working hard to bring new york over to an understanding that she must stand firm against english rule he organized meetings gave addresses wrote letters newspaper articles and pamphlets then he joined a military company and was perfecting himself in the science of war there were frequent outbreaks between tory mobs and whigs and the breaking up of your opponent's meeting was looked upon as a pleasant pastime then came the british ship asia and opened fire on the town this no doubt made whigs of a good many tories whig sentiment was on the increase gangs of men marched through the streets and the king's stores were broken into and prominent royalists found their houses being threatened dr cooper president of king's college had been very pronounced in his rebukes to congress and the colonies and a mob made its way to his house arriving there hamilton and his chum troop were found on the steps determined to protect the place hamilton stepped forward and in a strong speech urged that dr cooper had merely expressed his own private views which he had a right to do and the house must not on any account be molested while the parley was in progress old dr cooper himself appeared at one of the upper windows and excitedly cautioned the crowd not to listen to that blatant young rapscallion hamilton as he was a rogue and a varlet and a vagrom the good doctor then slammed the window and escaped by the back way his remarks raised a laugh in which even young hamilton joined but his mistake was very natural in view of the fact that he only knew that hamilton had deserted the college and espoused the devil's cause and not having heard his remarks but seeing him standing on his steps haranguing a crowd thought surely he was endeavouring to work up mischief against his old preceptor who had once plucked him in greek it seems to have been the intention of his guardians that the limit of young hamilton's stay in america was to be two years and by that time his education would be complete and he would return to the west indies and surprise the natives but his father who supplied the money and the mystical kinsman who supplied advice and the kind friends who had given him letters to the presbyterian clergymen at new york and princeton had figured without their host young hamilton knew all that nevis had in store for him he knew its littleness its contumely and disgrace and in the secret recesses of his own strong heart he had slipped the cable that held him to the past no more remittances from home no more solicitous advice no more kind loving letters the past was dead for england he once had had an almost idolatrous regard to him she had once been the protector of his native land the empress of the seas the enlightener of mankind but henceforth he was an american he was to fight america's battles to share in her victory to help make of her a great nation and to weave his name into the web of her history 
so that as long as the united states of america shall be remembered so long also shall be remembered the name of alexander hamilton what general washington called his family usually consisted of sixteen men these were his aides and more than that his counselors and friends in washington's frequent use of that expression my family there is a touch of affection that we do not expect to find in the tents of war in rank the staff ran the gamut from captain to general each man had his appointed work and made a daily report to his chief when not in actual action the family dined together daily and the affair was conducted with considerable ceremony washington sat at the head of the table large handsome and dignified at his right hand was seated the guest of honor and there were usually several invited friends at his left sat alexander hamilton ready with quick pen to record the orders of his chief and methinks it would have been quite worth while to have had a place at that board and looked down the table at the strong fine face tinged with melancholy of washington and the cheery youthful faces of lawrence tillman lee aaron burr alexander hamilton and the others of that brave and handsome company well might they have called washington father for this he was in spirit to them all grave gentle courteous and magnanimous yet exacting strict and instant obedience from all and well too may we imagine that this obedience was freely and cheerfully given end of section fourteen